DJ and PK, it is time to bring in the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. David, good morning. Good morning. How are you, DJ? I'm great, but PK's voice happy, is wobbling. Happy, happy New Year. Oh, happy 2020 to you too, David. Uh, PK, mm-hmm. PK's voice is wobbling. He says he was screaming. Just the the the, uh, the tension, the passion at the end of that jazz game. It completely wrecked his voice. PK, use that. I thought, uh, he, was ye- I thought he was yelling at Kyle Whittingham for the youth performance. No, because his voice was good yesterday. So, oh, okay. It, it, it happened. We know what happened in the last twenty four hours. Uh, oh, all right, Dave. So- sorry, PK. Thank you for your concern. Oh, my gosh. I know, right? Uh, All right, let's start. There's several storylines to follow with the Jazz here. One, obviously the bench was uh, not playing well early in the year. They were giving up runs routinely, and they made a bunch of changes. Uh, Niang seems to be getting more minutes. Obviously, they added Clarkson, and obviously they've made the change at backup center. Is that still a work in progress and Quinn is still deciding or do you think he's made the switch in his mind and this is the way it's going to go and Ed's going to be the third-string guy here for a while and Tony Bradley's uh, going to keep that spot? Well, I mean, I think he's showing uh, Tony that he has some rope. I mean, Tony hasn't played – Tony played terrifically last night, um, but he hadn't played particularly well prior. But I think you have to understand with Tony that coming into the season, he played 65 NBA minutes, Right. Um, he played 15 minutes a game in college, so that's what, about 500 minutes. Um, and then he'd played about 1,200 G League minutes over the last two years. Uh, so he's really still a work in progress. He's 21 years old, uh, and there's just a ton for him to learn. Uh, and I think that Quinn's understanding of that as, as he's rolled him out here, understanding there's going to be good and bad um, that goes with it. Last night was the good. He was terrific. He adjusted well in the third quarter what the Bulls were doing defensively. He took advantage rolling to the rim. He rim defended very well. The Jazz were incredible at the rim last night. The Bulls shot 41% at the rim last night. Uh, and so I think, you know, to uh, uh, the way you phrased it, I'm not trying to be a nitpicker, but if like I say, well, it's permanent, then that shows a lack of flexibility on Quinn, which he's shown the exact opposite to. So it's not permanent. Like if Tony doesn't play well, Ed Davis will get to play again. Um, but I think Tony will have a, a, a ample opportunity to to earn this spot permanently. Okay. Whether it's permanent remains to be seen. But how legit is Tony Bradley as an NBA player? I don't know yet. Um, you know, again, 65 NBA minutes, 500 college minutes and 1200 G league minutes. That's just not enough sample size. Um, and now he's played more than 65, but that was last year. Um, I just don't know yet. Um, you know, that player, that style of player has, uh, the game has changed a little bit away from, um, he's going to have to become a really good rim defender, um, and a really elite rebounder. Um, and if he can do those two things, then he'll be okay. So Jordan Clarkson coming in and, I was at the Portland game as a fan, which I rarely do, but sitting among the people, you could hear conversations and people talking about him, people just so excited about him. He was 4 for 12 that night, and nobody was complaining about his shot selection. People were whooping it up. Just his aggressiveness. Now, the next two games, he comes out with 19 and 20 points. I'm like, wow, is Jordan Clarkson going to turn into Lou 
Lou Williams here or something? What's going on? The Bulls game, you know, it comes back to earth a little bit. Uh, 12 points. What do you think his role is in the long term? Because, I, I mean, I think your answer can be the same thing you just said on Tony Bradley. It's a small sample size. Four games with the Jazz uh, isn't much. Where do you think this is headed? Well, I think Lou Williams is probably the right analogy. Um, there, I think uh, Derek Rose for the Bull for the Pistons is the right analogy. He's, you know, going to be one of the lead bench scorers in the league. Um, and I, you know, I think actually, you know, Lou. I think there's some areas where Jordan might actually, you know, he's a little bigger and longer than Lou. I'm not sure he's the same defensive liability. Probably can't score at quite at the same rate um, as Lou can, but Lou's not always been the most efficient player. So uh, I, I think Jordan Clarkson is in that ilk, and he comes off the bench and. He's firing and unabashed, and that's. But it's changed the entire complexion of who we are. It's you know we're playing so much harder as a group. Um, I think it's no, you know it's noticeably different the way the way the guys are the, the juice that they play with when he's on the floor. He, he's picked up the tempo a little bit. Um, but you're, I mean, you're starting last night. Niang's plus nineteen, Bradley's plus eight, Moody is plus five, and Clarkson's plus four. We lose this game two weeks ago because those numbers are all negative. Um, and that's that's just a huge change to who the Jazz are, and thus far Jordan Clarkson is, is at the forefront of it. But but as you said, it's this kind of multiple things. Like how did Quinn Snyder know that George Niang at the four was going to work? And it certainly has. And and Tony Bradley stepping in for Ed Davidson, Emmanuel Moody has actually been the most consistent player of the group. So uh, I you know I think that Clarkson is is exactly what you how you characterize him, David. I think you've got a good. Gr- uh, grasp on it. He's he's going to come in firing, and um, he, he's got characteristics that just make him terrific for the role. I mean, he's 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 not bashful. He gets to the rim. Um, he does a lot of things really really well, and he's and he's big. He's a little bigger than I thought he was in person. Um, he's pretty long, and he covers some ground. So if he can fundamentally, you know, work on some defensive aspects, I think he'll be even better. How much better is Rudy Gobert right now than at any time in his NBA career? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't, that's, a, that's a really interesting question. Uh, is he better than any other time in his NBA career? Uh, well, I think first he's playing with a spread floor, which he's never had before, which allows him to do some things offensively. Um, I actually think – I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. Like, I feel like Rudy is so obsessed with greatness – and that's what's driven him from being the 27th pick to being the best defense player in the world. And also, I think, you know, he wants to be an elite offensive player. But I feel like, the, you know, every now and then Rudy kind of stretches out beyond where he's going to be effective. And then he works his way back into what makes him effective. Last night was interesting because the way the Bulls play, Rudy couldn't have an impact on the game screening. Like, that was not – the Bulls aren't going to allow that. They're bringing two guys to the ball. I think the Jazz had, like, two screen assists the entire night. Um, and so Rudy's got to find other ways to impact. the. And so late in the game, those roles were those roles were fierce. Um, and just with, with such great um, kind of power to the rim. And so in that sense, I think, you know, th- that's something he's – evolved with defensively the one area where I think he's better PK is just the further out on the floor he goes who's actually still comfortable um, and and that's going to be you know that's going to be vital for the long term of his career as more and more stretch fives are playing in this league and people are playing five out and the driving lanes are open 
Um, his multiple actions defensively still are what separates him from everyone else. His ability to impact the pick and roll and get back to alter the next shot. There was one play last night where he impacted three different shots or non-shots, shots that were going to be shots that then they're Rudy there, so they don't take him, or the actual shot that then Rudy impacts. He had three of them in a span of like eight seconds. It was it's pretty awesome. So his rebounding is up at a career best uh, over 14, 14.2 now, and he's come close to 13 at 12, 8, and 12, 9. So th- this is a step up, but rebounding's changing in the NBA. It's not where there's three or four big guys in there throwing elbows, battling the ball, wrestling for it anymore. There's a lot of times that everybody gets back on defense and they just kind of concede it. And they're like, we're going to stop the break. We're not even going to go for the offensive board. Now there are stretches where you have to battle in a game. Is he really a better rebounder, or is it more tactics are changing, so it's just easier to grab more boards for him? Well, I also think, you know, without favors and for portions of the time on the floor, there's no, you know, Royce O'Neal's our second leading rebounder. So um, he's better at stealing rebounds from these other guys so he gets one of I'm just kidding but that's true too last night he got Boyan on one it was pretty funny Boyan looked at him like dude come on um, and your point is accurate David that people are not offensive rebounding at very high rate in this league the Jazz are actually like the third or fourth best defensive rebounding team um, and then I think the floor is just different because of no favors so I, I don't know if he's a what would define a better rebounder is exactly what you're saying. How many out-of-area rebounds is he getting? How many contested rebounds is he getting? Um, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but he is taking advantage of the way this team is constructed to rebound more. Of the, <clears throat> excuse me. Of the top six teams in the West, who do you think is most vulnerable to slip? Maybe no one. Um, I actually think Denver and Houston are about to both go on runs. So, I mean, I guess that's Dallas, but why? Luka's top five player in the NBA. Um, and so then that's the Lakers or Clippers due to health, and I don't think they're going to do that. I, I was My dad texted me last night and was like, what do you need this year and uh, for wins? And I texted back, like, for what? And he said top four in the West, and I think that could be 55. And I, and I think it could be number one seed 55 and number four seed 53 or 54. Um I, I think it's going to be I, – I think these six teams are just considerably better than anyone else. And Denver – or Dallas was – if Dallas was going to slip, they were doing it last month and they didn't do it. They had a really hard December schedule and they lost Luka and they went 9-5. and five. So, there's nothing illegitimate about that team. They're one of the great offensive teams we've ever seen in the NBA. Um, and they're totally 100% legit. The Lakers and Clippers are legit. Houston just got Eric Gordon back. It feels like Westbrook and Harden are figuring each other out. Um, and they're about to go – I think they're about to go on runs. And then Denver has done actually a lot of what Utah's done, which is Denver has adjusted their bench. And Malik Beasley's not playing anymore. And Torrey Craig's not playing anymore. And they've brought in Michael Porter Jr. And they're playing different guys. And they're, they've gotten a huge spark. So I feel like Denver's about to go win 58 games. Uh, so I don't think anyone in the top six is going to blink. And I don't know how the Jazz, you know, I think the Jazz are going to have to get 55, 50, 55 wins to get a home court advantage. So that doesn't surprise me. I think you're spot on. I think the same thing you just said. I 
I got a lot of faith in the top six to keep it going, barring some team getting leveled by injuries, which you know can always happen. I think the thing that factors into this is that the middle of the West, and really last year even the bottom of the West, with the exception of the Suns, was surprisingly good in the first half of the season. But here in the first half of the season, the bottom of the West has been a bunch of easy wins. The middle of the West, now Oklahoma City's getting it together here. They won eight out of nine. Uh, but you get below Oklahoma City, and it's just stunning. The West really, it's, it's been so good for so long, but it doesn't have the same quality of depth. And I think that's making it easier for these top six teams to pile up wins. Well, two things have happened. The top of the West is better than it's ever been, so that makes the bottom look less good. And then two, the East is not as bad. I think the East and the West are about the same this year. So, you know, where you used to be winning, I think Eastern Western Conference teams are winning somewhere in the range of 65% of their games against the East. And maybe at one point, I think it was as high as 70. It's now at 50-50. And so there's a few, there's a few losses missing. I think what gets really interesting on this is, you know, everyone's on the Lakers about what, how they manage LeBron, which I think is legitimate. And Anthony Davis has a tendency to take a little break during the year, every year. Um, and Kawhi Leonard and, you know, Paul George's health are, are big issues. And I, I'm not sure that there's the wiggle room for the Clippers and Lakers to do the kind of resting that everyone's talking about them doing. Or I don't even think resting is the right word. I mean, I think it's player management in the correct way, in, in, in an appropriate manner. But you, you go make a mistake with your player management right now, and you suddenly end up being the three seed instead of the one or the two seed. And if both of them make a mistake, then suddenly the three and the four. I mean, there's – there's a really decent chance that Denver or Houston could end up being the number one seed in the West. How much faith do you have in the Jazz' ability to beat every one of these bad teams, these sub-500 teams that are lined up in front of them? Because when you look at the top, the reason that the Lakers and the Bucks are doing what they're doing is they literally have not lost a single game to a bad team. And then you can click on some of these other teams that are a couple games back of them, and there's the difference. They've lost to Atlanta, or they've lost to Phoenix, or they've lost to somebody who's not an elite team. Do you think the Jazz can just steamroll through this stretch until they play the Pacers on January 20th? That has been the signature of a Quinn Snyder team over the last few years is that they win the games they're supposed to win. Um, I'm not sure what supposed to win is on the rest of this trip, though. Uh, I'll be curious to see now with Jonathan Isaac being hurt, maybe it changes. But when I took a quick scan of 538, we were not favored in either of the next two. Um, which a little bit is the statement that we just haven't actually been that good and our differential is not that impressive. So... It's, I think these next two games are actually a statement to where we are. Um, you know, if we go and grab the, if the Jazz go and grab the next two, then I think that's a pretty good indicator that they've made a significant step uh, into what the basketball team is compared to what it was before. Because if you trend out what they were this season, then they, they are, I don't know that they're favored in either of the next two ballgames. Um, Orlando's 10 and 7 at home and pretty decent. Um, and then Oklahoma, New Orleans is rolling right now. So if you look at 538, and I don't think the Vegas lines are up yet, um, we were, as of yesterday, we were not favored in either of the next two games. So I tell you that they go on the road and they'd normally go 1 and 2 or 2 and 1 on this trip, but they would have lost that Chicago game without the bench. And nobody really went off, so I'm thinking somewhere on this trip, Mitchell's going to have a game where he just can't miss. And somewhere on this trip, Bogdanovich is going to have a game where he just can't miss. So I'm wondering if the game they would normally botch on this trip, they already won. 
and now the games that they would have won earlier, despite the poor bench play, well, they're still gonna they're still gonna win because Boyan or Donovan is just gonna go off. I like that idea. I'll go with that. All right. Well, just remember to tell, drop that on uh, Booner in the third quarter when uh, you know Mitchell's got twenty two and is clearly on the way to thirty. David James said, <laughs> "See, um, there you, go. you know, yeah, right. I'll, you know, all right, we can do that for you, David. We appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us." See you. All right, David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, joining us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.